Welcome to Good People Talk, the podcast of the Good People Fund. This is where GPF changemakers talk about their vision and impact, as well as the challenges and rewards of being a social entrepreneur. This episode, GPF Executive Director Naomi Eisenberger sits down with Paul Morator, the founder of Connections, a GPF grantee organization. Connections works in New York City and Westchester County to the north, pairing volunteer mentors with teens and young adults who have past or current contact with the child welfare or juvenile justice systems. Visit goodpeoplefund.org or connectionsmentor.org for more information. For now, here's Paul and Naomi in conversation. Paul, your trajectory to starting Connections not totally unusual, but tell our listeners a little bit about what your life was like pre-connections and what it is today. I spent 30 years in media and entertainment in various roles, consulting in the technical side and business affairs in the talent business. So I'm, I was an accomplished professional. I always told my mom and dad that I wanted to retire at 50. The second half of my life, I wanted to kind of follow my passion and follow my calling. And I had always volunteered with young kids who were in the foster care or the child welfare system. Having spent almost 30 years doing that, I saw all the things that worked and I saw all the things that didn't work. And I said, if I ever got to the point where I could make a difference, I want to try to make the things that didn't work work differently to see if they could work better. And that's how I started. I didn't grow up in the line of work we're in. And I'm fortunate now that I have three staff people who did come from the work and they are highly credentialized in what we do. And so we've been recognized in New York City as a real organization that provides real value to the young people we serve. And it's because of their competence and their experience that they bring to the the table. Couldn't do that without them. The skills that you brought from your previous career, along with your natural compassion, makes for a great combination. There's a term that I that we use here all the time called youth at risk. I don't happen to like the term. I don't like labeling people. Tell us a little bit about how those young people that Connections are helping fit the definition. You know, Naomi, our kids are exactly who you would expect them to be given their circumstances. So, and I think all young people are at risk. Anybody who has children out there, pay attention to what your kids are doing. Young people do all kinds of things, not always smart ones for themselves or whatever. So, you know, young people require uh, adult relationships. And that is what Connections does. Every young person needs a meaningful relationship with an adult. For anyone listening, think about whether it was a parent or an aunt or an uncle or the man in the grocery store down the street or wherever your life circumstances were, you need an adult in your life. And our kids, in addition to the fact that they would be exactly who you would expect them to be, they also will surprise you. Kids who have come from, quote unquote, the system, meaning either juvenile justice or child welfare, are unbelievably resilient. You know, one of our mentees was going to go to college and he's like, do you think I can do this? And I'm like, are you kidding You have been in a residential treatment center while every other kid was home with creature comforts that you haven't been afforded. And you have lived in a group home with 16 kids and are going to college. Can you live in a dorm and survive the social environment in a university? Absolutely. So our kids go into other situations and are unbelievably resilient. And our kids basically have three things that happen to them that put them at a different kind of risk. The first is that they've been separated from their family and from their community. When you live in a residential treatment center, they pick you up and they bring you somewhere. So you lose your family, your school, your friends, the thing on the corner, whatever, right?
dying. So this is an unbelievably traumatic experience for a young person. So that's the first one. That whole separation is a big deal. The other is, is that they have repeated broken trust with adults. So the people that you were supposed to count on, who were supposed to protect you and you know educate you and feed you, et cetera, didn't do that necessarily. And so you have that and it didn't happen just once. And then the other, um, and this one breaks my heart particularly, most of our kids have taken on responsibility that far exceeds their years. They may have had to be a parent at 10 years old for siblings or cousins or whatever, because a parent may not have been in the picture or capable of doing the things that parents do. Some of our kids have to go out and get a job and bring money into the home. And so they've had to do things at a very early age that are just, it really exceeds their years to do that. So with that combination of things, it puts them in that position as you labeled it or said it, you know, at risk. But those are some of the challenges that we sort through with them. And we pay attention to those three things because those are the things we're trying to reconnect. So our mentor is that adult relationship who is a person of character. We want to connect you, not separate you from something, which is why our mentors commit for a year. They see the youth two to four times a month with the advent of all the devices we have. They text more often, and so there's ways for them to communicate. But we try to show them what those things look and feel like. The connections model, describe it for us. We do mentoring, and that's what we're going to do. We're not a jobs training program. We are not supportive housing. We're not going to help you get food stamps. We're going to do mentoring. Our name is Connections because if for some reason you're not gaining easy access to some of those services, we can help you do that. But that's not our remit. Our remit is to provide a meaningful adult relationship to a young person for a year. So what does that look like? I'm going to start with the mentor, okay, meaning the meaningful adult. And we recruit those people from all walks of life. So we have people from diverse cultures, different experiences, different education levels. You don't need to have a driver's license. You need to have a heart and you need to be a person of character. And you have to be willing to make the commitment. To recruit a mentor normally takes us between two and three months. We curate the relationship. So we don't just get you through a process and then assign you a youth. So we get to know you. You go through extensive background checks, as you might imagine. Then we do an extensive interview with you to find out more about you and your personality. So we get to know you as a human being. We do the same thing with the youth. So all of our mentees are young adults and they're both men and young men and young women between 15 and 25. They come to us referred through their social worker. So we have a relationship with about 12 to 15, depending on how you count, social services type organizations in the five boroughs and lower Westchester County. And they know who we are. They vetted us as a program and they refer kids to us. And then we interview the kid. So one of the things about connections that's really unique is that is a mutually voluntary match. The kid has to want the adult and the adult has to want the kid. We have what's called a match meeting at the end of this long process. They meet one another. Um, normally about 30 seconds into the meeting, the kid's like, I really like them. I want Naomi as my mentor, you know? <laughs> but th the fact that we've given them the opportunity to say, no, thank you, or I don't think this is going to work, or I have these questions is modeling what we want them to do in the world, right? We all want to do that. We then take the mentor and mentee through a journey over that year. So they're supported by us all the time. We get phone calls and texts constantly from our population of the people we serve. We have formal training in certain intervals of the relationship because these relationships are different than many of our mentors may be used to. The other thing that we do that's really different is you're never alone. And we get a meeting recap from the mentors from every meeting that they have. And we read them word for word. And sometimes we'll pick up a theme and pick up the phone and say, hey, Naomi, 
you know, when you were there, what happened with the blah, 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 or that kind of thing. We supported our mentors incredibly during COVID because they were socially um, connected, but physically distanced. Our mentors were really creative in that period. And so was my staff. And some things going back to how we started this conversation, we didn't do well. We went, oops, sorry. Well, we thought we would try something creative. Didn't work. Let's try something else. And the rules were constantly changing in COVID too. Could we get together? Could we not? Or were the kids being sent somewhere else versus where they were? If there was a breakout of the virus, where were they going? So it was a it was a really crazy time, as it was for everybody. But for us, it was crazy for what we were doing. And you took a community, which, as I said before, was separated from their family and their community, right? So they were already isolated. And now they got right. isolated even more so. How has the model changed? I'm not going to say you were flying by the seat of your pants when you started, but a little bit. You had an idea. You knew you wanted to do it. It was something that you yourself had done being a mentor. I say this to anybody, again, who's thinking of doing anything like this, in addition to saying no, crawl, walk, run. When I was volunteering for the many years that I did, I volunteered for teenage boys. So I knew that population. And I was in a universe that, as the founder of Connections, I understood. As the staff came on board and had different experience, we then got older young men and some had come from the juvenile justice system, which I was not familiar with. And then we went to a synagogue in Scarsdale, New York. This nice grandmother came up and said, I want a girl. I'm like, well, Bobby, we don't have any. She said, well, I think you should get them. And I want her to have a baby. I'm like, well, we definitely don't have that. But then we talked and said, well, maybe we should serve women. And young women have a very different set of circumstances. So screening mentors, like we don't have any male mentors for women. We only have women serving women as mentors. And so the training was different. The circumstances were different. The places where they lived was different. And so that was in the walking fast stage of our development. <laughs> but if I had done that, when we opened the door, I would have gotten nowhere. So I really yeah. stuck to what I knew and then added on to it. And so now we serve teen boys and girls and young men and women up to 25. But that was probably, Leah will correct me when she listens to this, but I'm gonna say that took us three years or three and a half years to get to that point where we really knew what we were doing. And it took me six months, but I got Bobby a mentor. I'm sorry, a mentee. And she was a single mom. And the match meeting was in the dark. And I said, why is the match meeting in the dark? And they said, the baby's sleeping. And it was just, (laughs) it was the first time we had a match meeting with the baby. But, you know, Bobby was a mentor for a little over a year and taught this young woman how to diaper and feed and deal with crying and all the things little kids come with. And it was a really beautiful relationship. And we did like one or two and tried it and said, okay, did that work? So I'm, I'm very proud in a humble way to say that we serve that broad, a type of population and we only do one thing, mentoring. And again, our model is adult relationships and it's based on the people who come before us. So we don't really recruit per se. So mentors apply and then we don't accept everyone and social workers present kids and we don't take all of them you know our mentors are non-trained professionals to be fair to some of the mentors they are social workers or direct care workers so we do have a, a group of mentors who's unbelievably capable but in general you know we have an ophthalmologist he's an older man i won't give away his age but he called me and he said how old can you be to be a mentor and i just <laughs> said are you breathing he said yes yeah. so i said okay you meet the criteria for age now what do you do and right. he said you know i'm a retired ophthalmologist and i'd really like to I saw your website and I'd love to do this. And he was amazing. You know, and when you look at this man and his mentee together, you might not think right off the bat that they would be such a cool pair, but that was a really beautiful, successful match and relationship. And, you know, they both 
benefited from that. Anything we can do as people, what we do is just one of them to bring right. us together. And I, going back to what I said about the kids, our kids are just kids. You know, they've had a certain group of circumstances. What, what's the average length of a relationship? The required commitment that you make is a year. Some of our mentors have what we call close that relationship because after a year we say, okay, we connections are no longer responsible for you. Some of our mentors have had relationships for the five years we've been around, but now they're on their own terms. The kid's an adult, the mentor's mm-hmm. an adult. Like if you guys want to go grocery shopping together, go ahead, but you don't have to do a meeting recap and that type of thing. And so, and we have a process that takes us between four and 12 weeks where we actually go through what that's like. Because in addition to pairing a kid, we want to tell them what it's like to have a relationship end on healthy terms. When the relationship ends, is it positive or negative? It's both. Mentor New York just did a study on us about our success rate and they were sort of blown away by our numbers, which we thought were kind of like, right, you know, average. And they're like, no, 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 no. These numbers are really high. So we have 85% successful pair rate, but that's because we spend so much time curating those things up front. And some of the mentors have mentored again. So they got a, we have one mentor Mm -hmm. now, I think she's on her third or fourth kid. Do you have any... LGBTQT kids in the program. We do. And do they present any specific kinds of challenges? As you might imagine, some of our kids come from families where that's not accepted. And it could be potentially the reason why they were removed from the home, because maybe their family didn't present their dissatisfaction in a way that was healthy, right? And so as when we took mentees as female, we had to have different protocol. This added another layer of things that we deal with very effectively now. And it's interesting because the social workers who have seen the benefit of the mentor with the kid are now presenting us more youth in that demographic. There's something like 40, 40% of the kids in high school are questioning their gender identity now. You know, this is a topic now that kids are paying attention to differently yeah. than we did 25 years ago. And going back to your question to me, like, what was it like for me to mentor? This was not, we didn't even have those letters then. And we have them now. And we take classes on that. So we're educated about how to treat people and speak to people respectfully, not just from a vocabulary, but how do we care for one another in this particular way? For some of us, as you can see in your emails in the world, we've changed our email signatures, et cetera. So it's definitely a contemporary topic. And we have a number of youth in the program and more referrals in this, in this category. What geographic area are these kids coming from? It's interesting because we say where the kids domiciled, meaning where they're going to sleep tonight. So I always say that the bees are our biggest because the Bronx and Brooklyn right. are, are our largest. But we, I think we have one kid now in Staten Island. It's funny, my staff always like, well, no, they're not, they're, they're whatever. And so <laughs> I normally get it right or close. We also have kids who are in treatment centers and group homes in Westchester County. So I think we have one as far as Peekskill. We have some in Dobbs Ferry and then some in other places in Westchester as well. And we currently serve 50 kids. And for those of you who are listening, because it's my job to say so, if we had more money, we could serve more. You know, one of your questions to me the other day was like kind of what keeps me up at night or whatever. And when I started and I was just on a bench, I didn't even have an office. I had a bench in my cell phone yeah. and I had a couple of kids. And if we failed at that point, meaning I failed, yeah, right. I could have just mentored them on my own. You know, I have a car. The state approved me as a mentor. Like I had very low collateral damage of my lack of success. Now we have 50 kids in the program and we have 15 kids in queue waiting for a mentor. Now, if we close our door, holy smokes. I'm sure that you have success stories. I look for the simple things. And I always say the fact that the kids showed up is enormous. And I look for the kids' hygiene. And what I mean by that is when you feel really dejected and down and sad, you don't normally take care of yourself. So when I see a kid 
you know, dressing sloppy and whatever. I'm like, okay, there's probably something else underneath that other than the just sloppy kid. And then like in three or four months, you watch the kid. Maybe they have a pair of glasses now that they didn't have before. And you're like, I didn't know you wore glasses. And they may not have wanted to see the world because the world was a scary place. And now they have glasses on. They're taking care of themselves. That is enormous. So we don't get kids into Harvard. That's not what we do, you know? And for those of you who want to go, go for it. But we don't tell you what education level you have to have. We don't tell you, you know, what type of job you should have. We want to tell you that you have the ability to ask those questions. And if we can get a young person to feel that they have the right and that they're worthy to ask that question, we have done our work that day. And Mm. when they show up, even if it's late, that's enormous. We're also there when they graduate high school or get a GED or get their job. So we're just, our kids also have successes and we cheer them on with as much celebration as we can muster. What can the average person who's listening to this say, you know, any concerned citizen, so to speak, what can they do to fill gaps in the system? The first is there's no point in your life where you don't need to participate. Right. And whether you have a young family or you're going to go to graduate school or whatever, you can participate differently. So there's a role for everyone. The first is if you don't have a lot of time, volunteer for a group of people or a program. So not one on one. So we have people in the larger agency that supports us. You know, people come and plant shrubs outside the school or, you know, you have a corporate group that comes and plays softball once a month and they bring pizza and they play with the kids. If you're on a business trip and can't make it, your company is still, you know, playing softball but you, Naomi, may not be there every single time. And the kids may not be there. So it's a group thing. You're in the mix and you're doing something meaningful and hopefully feeling a reciprocal good thing about that. You know, the kids are fun. They're interesting. So there's ways to do that that are group oriented and amazing organizations that have them. The other is if you're going to donate and you're at a point in your life now where that is a thing. So having a donor say, you know what, I'm going to support you for two or three years. That is an enormous sense of security, like, okay, well, I can hire somebody now. So knowing that you have more than just a once and done donation is really helpful. And for those of you who really feel compelled to do something, do something one-on-one. Now we do one-on-one mentoring. So if you want to join us, connectionsmentoring.org is our website. We'd love to talk to you. If you want to read to the blind, or if you want to go to an old folks home or whatever, right? I'm sure they're called something else more politically correct than old folks home. But I'm old, so I could say old folks home. But like, if that's your thing, go to Mrs. McGillicuddy in the old folks home and see her every single time. While I am advocating for connections all the time, if your giftedness is otherwise, go find those things. And there's all kinds of ways online to do that. Volunteer New York has a huge website where you go online and say, I want to read to the blind and they'll show you the organizations or whatever. So there's ways to get involved. But for those of you who have the time and the commitment and the passion, do something one-on-one. I want to thank you for the time that you've given us and um, for sharing Connections story. And likewise, and I have to say to everyone listening, if it wasn't for the Good People Fund, I don't think we would have been here. I will just comment that relationships are really what this is all about. I hope that we as an organization have made that clear to all of our grantees. I believe that we have. Your success is our success. Mm -hmm. We will speak again, I am sure. Okay, be well. Thanks for today.